Hello everyone, welcome to the Sega Saturn Shiro Podcast, the only podcast that can get your Saturn into the node of Skynet. With me are my guests Dave and Kay. So, what have you guys been up to, uh, Dave? Not much. I was looking forward to this podcast um, and and our interview a little bit later in the cast, um, just talking to those guys and trying to hook up with them during the week. A Sega RPG fan, and it's still thinking 1999. Um, we're going to have them on, and I'm excited about that. And then other than that, I've just uh, been playing a hell of a lot of Dragon Force. Um, you know, it was a game that I acquired recently, and it's, it's such an awesome game, and I've kind of just gone real deep into Dragon Force, and I've been putting in about an hour every morning, um, just working my way up the map, and I'm pretty much a force to be reckoned with now. So so why a, why a Dragon Force? You know, uh, Chaz Picardi on the Sega Saturn Collectors of America group on Facebook, he posted this really good video tutorial. Um, He kind of live streamed it on Facebook and it kind of got me thinking, okay, you know, maybe I will give this game another shot because uh, honestly, my previous experience, you know, maybe once a year I fire it up and I look at the first uh, domestic affairs, you know, thing and I kind of go through the menus and then I am looking at that kind of intimidating map, you know, with all the different castles and not knowing what the hell I'm supposed to do. And being a lazy person, (laughs) I've never really you know, open that manual. Well, actually, to be fair, I've only had a burn copy of the game until recently, so I didn't really ever have the manual. Okay. And rather than kind of looking up that information, you know, I just was thinking, oh, I could just figure this out by just figuring it out, but it didn't work that way. So anyway, Chaz, he posted up a really good video that inspired me to give it another shot. And it was a really good tutorial, and it got me, like, the first few hours into the game that really got me past that wall of uh, intimidation. And then um, once you get into that game, it, it completely redefined, like, my top 10 list for the Saturn. The sprite work is amazing. The fact that there can be like a hundred character sprites, well, two hundred character sprites for each army, you know, on screen Damn. at the same time, and the Saturn hardly slows down. Um, there are some spots like with the dragons and, and the zombies where it kind. There's so much animation going on that that the Saturn does chug a little bit, but right. it definitely lives up to what everybody says about it. Um, cool. Um, what about UK? What have you been up to? Uh. I got an STV board and a uh, reproduction uh, cart for Radiant Silver Gun and Shinryu um, for STV. Oh, nice. You going to super gun that? Uh, well, I got a pair of candy cabs, so I'm hoping I can get them running on my actual candy cabs before I super gun it. But, nice. Yeah. I'd love to see it. Send me some pics of the board. I might want to do something like that later on. Yeah, for sure. Other than that, really, the, the biggest thing is uh, where a few weeks ago, well, a few podcasts ago, um, we went ahead and released ARM uh, to the public, uh, being an unreleased game. Looks like uh, my friend Don might have sold another uh, unreleased prototype um, that he's had. It was a port of Crime Patrol, uh, originally on the 3DO and, and also ported to the Sega CD. A little known fact, it was also ported to the Saturn and just never was published. Um, So I made a dump of that game, and uh, I actually um, have a lot of uh, prototypes from Dawn uh, that I'm going to be uh, dumping over the course of the week. Not any other uh, unreleased games. We've already dumped those, but a couple of previous versions, including Street Fighter and things of that nature. Nice, cool, and we'll all be looking forward to that. How about you, Pat? Uh, 
actually today I just got done setting up a King of Fighters tournament. It was a uh, for King of Fighters '98. I I set up my super gun and my PVM and uh, yeah, we all played some King of Fighters. About a good turnout, about 20, 24 people playing it, and we had a great time. Uh, in terms nice. of in terms of Saturn stuff though, uh, mostly just playing the obscure game, which we'll get into, and uh, playing a lot of. Uh, Again, trying to get good at the shmups, I'm not gr great at them, so it takes me forever, but still hacking away at Batsugan, and uh, actually I put in uh, Game Paradise because I saw uh, the game's going to be released on the PS4 soon, so like, yeah. oh, let's give it a shot, so, and I blow as worse as I remember I did that game, but <laughs> man, is that game fun. Not, that game fun. You know, speaking phenomenal. of shmups that came out recently on other platforms, um, Battle Garega was released uh, a couple of weeks ago. Same day, I think it's Cuphead, um, but I know that it made it out to uh, the Xbox Live Arcade. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hopefully you guys will go pick that up. Yeah. Before we get into our obscure game, um, I wanted to you know, make mention uh, of something. Uh, this podcast is going to be you know, primarily dedicated to um, something fairly technical, networking on the Saturn and uh, we've you know gone back and forth about you know how technical of a podcast we are, uh, and whether or not we're too technical. Um, and we like to hear you guys' feedback. So you know, this is a lot sooner than I think we wanted to have a technical one, but the opportunity to interview uh, interview these gentlemen uh, came about fairly quickly, and it just seemed right. Plus, we really want to promote the idea of you know getting together as a community and playing you know some of these games on netlink so uh i will take some responsibility for how droney i can be with technical stuff and thank you guys for bearing with it yeah and uh for those who don't know we interviewed the guys that were working on the sega saturn netlink connection using the voip so we talked to them cut to had a couple questions had a little nice q a that'll be later on the podcast so that brings us to our obscure game of the cast. All right, and uh, did you want to introduce that, Kay? I know you're a big fan of the said game. So um, this is uh, a series of games, technically. Uh, it's a Gundam side story, uh, two or excuse me, one, two, and three, uh, collectively known as the Blue Destiny. So you can see it either as individual games or as that collective. And it is um, one of the first uh, HK bootlegs I've ever owned, uh, HK Silvers. So they are the one that the HK Silvers that I picked up was Side Story 2 and 3. And they have discard on them, but they won't boot without a mod chip or in this case, pseudo um, is possible as well now. Uh, Dang, that's strange. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, but they were sold um, in Hong Kong, which is why they were called HKs. And it was uh, one of the first games that I had gotten after um, I got my Saturn. It was uh, Tomb Raider, Virtual On, Fire Pro Wrestling, and then those two side story games. Um, you know, I'd like to hear if you guys have had any experience with, you know, what your guys' experience with this game was. Alright, well, uh, I actually... I actually remember seeing a bunch of threads about it when I was looking into the Saturn stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'd like to say I'm a moderate fan of Gundam. I've watched it here and there, and I watched it a lot growing up. So, I mean, there's a no-brainer to pick it up. But, uh, yeah, uh, I actually saw it, at a, I saw it at a convention uh, when I uh, this game on Expo last year. 
and I picked up uh, one and two, and it's it's a blast. I mean, the gameplay is a lot of fun. The story I can't really understand that well, but I mean, it's all about the the run and gun Gundam stuff at the end of the day, and I think it's I think it's really fun. I don't know about you, Kay, though. But Dave, do you have any experience with it yet? Um, only you know I I'm I'm familiar with it. I've watched some Gundam. It, to be honest with you, I watched some YouTube reviews, and I've also, you know, was looking at just some gameplay. It reminds me visually, um, gameplay-wise, it reminds me of Gun Griffin. I don't know if I'm too far off by making that comparison, but um, no, it looks it looks like it's a lot of fun. I I love the Gun Griffin games, both one and two. So um, it's definitely something that I'm excited about. And because this week I've just been so busy, I I haven't had a chance to to burn a copy and, and give it a shot or plug it into an emulator. But I did watch the Project Co. video on YouTube. He did a really good job reviewing it, and it seems like seems like it's actually a really solid game, or both of them. So um, for me, uh, I never had any experience with um, Side Story 1. Uh, I do have both sets now complete, like originals, but when I first got my Saturn, uh, all I had um, was... Uh, side stories two and three and how I acquired them and why I started playing them and why I love them is because um, there was this there still is uh, this website forum uh, called Game Trading Zone and I was interested in Saturn and wanted to get uh, everything for virtual on it was actually you know one of the primary reasons for me getting into Saturn in the first place and uh, you have in Japan the twin sticks um, just like they had for Virtual One in the arcade, so uh, I went ahead and tried to find a cop, you know, a, a set of the twin sticks, and this guy sold it to me or traded to me uh, from Game Trading Zone, and included the two HKs for Side Stories Two and Three, because the twin sticks are usable on Gundam Side Story Two and Three. That's pretty cool. I know it's a side note, but is it also is it also usable in Gun Griffin? I have not tried uh, to use it. I think it might be. Uh, yeah, actually, there is a twin. There is a stick icon on the back of the Gun Griffin box. Oh, cool! Well, so it's it's it might be the mission stick. I don't know if that's the mission stick or the twin sticks, but well, I'll grab I'll grab a twin stick and I'll let you guys know. That yeah, you just that. go to grab a twin stick. Yeah, but uh, what do you guys think? Would you recommend it? Not recommend it? Uh... Oh, before we move there, Gun Griffin Two does apparently support. Uh, the twin stick awesome yeah okay. yeah you know i'm i'm excited about it I, it's now on my radar and um i'm definitely gonna get into um playing it and see if it's something that i want to pick up for my collection uh for my import collection um but yeah i i recommend based on what i've seen and i love the gun griffin games i'm all up for uh, you know more of that yeah, and obviously I, I'm a, a fan of anything that lets me break out those twin sticks since there's so little software that actually really utilizes them. You know, sure. you know, I actually learned that the twin sticks are literally just two arcade sticks with buttons that are that are bound up to it. I actually, yeah. I thought that was really cool, so... I mean, technically, I saw, like, forms of people wanting to make their own, and I thought that was really interesting. They're also digital, 100% digital, and they map out to the Saturn pad exactly, so... Theoretically, you could um, tear you know a, a controller apart and put different triggers onto it, you know, uh, to make your own, as you were mentioning. Yeah, 
I might, I might be trying my hand at that, like getting a, a broken stick and just modding it. The hardware on this thing, um, the base, I believe, is the same base as the uh, you know later Virtua version stick? of the Virtua Stick. Right. So you could take that same base, just remove the twin stick section, and pop on uh, the uh, later version, the arcade-style Virtua Stick, uh, and you know just swap them. That would be so cool if it, if you made it so it was like modular, so you could like swap out the virtuous stick module and then swap in the twin stick module. That that'd be a little bit more difficult because of the way the micro switches are set up. But yeah, oh, that'd be sure. interesting. So anyway, um, yeah, that's our obscure game slash games uh, for this podcast. Just game in this case, though. Well, there's two side stories. There's oh, three. Oh yeah, that's oh, right. Three. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Cut that out, please. Cut out so my cool. notes. It's all good. All right. So that kind of brings us into you know our, our primary topic, which is networking on Sega consoles in general, but the Saturn specifically. Dave, you want to talk about Sega being kind of a pioneer for this? Yeah. Well, um, in my experience, Sega has always been kind of just ahead of their time, and for better or for worse, it's kind of. You know, it's been their mo. It, it's been their mo, and and it's gotten them into some trouble. You know, because um, the the public, the consumer public, hasn't always been kind of on the same page. But um, they were really wanting to push online connectivity. Uh, seems like all the way back uh, from the Mega Drive, um, and they started out with the Sega Channel, which basically off- offering games. You know, piped into a RAM cart that would sit on top of on top of the Genesis, and that way you could basically rent games or try games, kind of like Gamefly or, you know, kind of like Netflix for games, you know, back back in the early 90s. And the cool thing is that exclusive games, like, uh, I know, for example, two examples are Pulsar, is it, is it Pulsar, the game that was made by Game Freak, and uh, Mega Man The oh. Wily Wars. Mm-hmm. No, Pulseman, sorry, Pulseman is the name of it. And and um, there was even I feel like there was even a special version of Shining Four, maybe it was a demo or it was like a, a special version. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get too deep in that. It's you know, the the point is Sega has always been just a little bit ahead of their time, and it, and it, they followed suit onto the Saturn and then onto the Dreamcast, where they ultimately met their demise. But they were I know they were responsible for getting me personally into online gaming. Uh, with PSO on the Dreamcast, uh, and then, and then really... possibly inspiring, you know, the Xbox to be to be online as well. Absolutely, I mean, you know, Microsoft had a relationship with Sega and and was embedded uh, CE in the Dreamcast, and we a lot of people speculate that you know the Xbox was pretty much like Dreamcast 2.0 or Dreamcast yeah. 1.5, you know, but that's that's more speculation. But the the truth is, they, you know, Sega really did pioneer online multiplayer console gaming and um and that was a part of my youth i did miss out um in the in the saturn days you know i didn't have a net link um it it was actually really expensive when it came out um and it only it only had support for five games so you know as a kid with a limited budget um it was kind of a hard buy for me at the time but now that you know it's such a such an easy thing to do an easy buy-in, we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But Kay, do you want to talk more about the history? I'll do some some touch points here. Um, the uh, 
history of Sega being online uh, seems to start with the Mega Net, which was um, opened up in 1990 for the Mega Drive. So we're looking at a very long history early in bed between Sega and networking. Wow. Uh, network gameplay. Pretty awesome. Um, as you mentioned, Sega Channel was a cable channel service that um, piped games to a cart and allowed you to play them for a monthly fee. And there were plenty of games available on the Sega Channel um, for its you know time in history. Uh, later on, a uh, device came out, a modem device uh, from X-Band. It was not only available on the Genesis, but also on the Super Nintendo. And uh, that modem was actually later built into Sega Channel adapters so that one piece of hardware could get you both Sega Channel and online uh, with X-Band. What's really interesting about X-Band and what relates to our you know, podcast today is that the Japanese Sega Saturn modem is an X-Band device. It was uh, developed out of the North American um, X-Band hardware and software protocols. Uh, and so it actually runs differently from our netlink. Um, the other really interesting thing about this, and Dave and I've had a little bit of conversation in prep for this podcast. Um, they were the engineering uh, behind being able to play online, you know, multiplayer, uh, two-player games for uh, any games that were compatible with X-Band was that the code was reverse engineered and then hacked to be able to allow you to do that. So take that for, you know, for a moment and just imagine having to not have access to your source code for a, a game that was published and, you know, put out on the store shelves. They're piping it through the X-Band service and intercepting the calls for the second player to allow a remote player. We're That's crazy. 1995. 1995. But uh, anyways, do we want to move on to... Basically, how the how the Saturn took advantage of the X band modem. I'm going to very lightly touch on you know the Japanese uh, Saturn modem um, and the uh, online capabilities. Right? Uh, they have the X band modem. It was a 14.4 modem. Uh, it it uh, required credit, so you had to have a Saturn media card in order to play. And that kind of caused the service to not actually be all that popular. There was a lot of cost of entry in there. Um, it also differed from our Netlink in the U.S. because you had to dial to a centralized server. Um, that server ended up becoming uh, what we knew as SegaNet for the Dreamcast. Um, since that server no longer exists, every game that was only compatible with the X-Band modem, so most of the Japanese games... Uh, are unplayable. You had to log into that server to be able to use it. So then there's no way to play every single Sega Saturn game to its full capacity, even if you wanted to. Um, The US hardware, uh, the Netlink, it has some of the X-Band technology in it. It's a 28.8 modem, um, but instead of using a centralized server, it uh, direct dials, uh, something that you could do in the PC at the same, same area for early networking. And the ironic part is that that downgrade actually managed to save it from unusability. Exactly. And that's kind of the basis of the rest of our podcast. Um, before we you know, go into some of that, um, there was a third and much lesser known 
networking option for the Saturn, and that's the DirectLink or Tyson cable. Um, we're probably going to get into that a lot further in depth in a later podcast, but to touch base on it, if you've ever looked at the back of your Saturn and wondered what the heck that extra port was, it does have some capabilities outside of this, um, but for networking, it was a port that allowed you to hook up a serial cable between two Saturn uh, locally. And some of the games in Japan, as well as at least two uh, in the U.S. and Europe, had some functionality with this cable. So it's kind of a neat little accessory to have. Uh, oh, I also did look on the back of my Saturn, and that, ca- that port is there. <laughs> it's underneath uh, the video. <laughs> congratulations. So, um, with all of that in mind, there was one thing that I really wanted to touch uh touch on specifically um, for this podcast and that is um, the history of uh, online multiplayer gaming Uh, I own a disc that I picked up probably about a year or two ago maybe a little bit longer um, called Dragon's Dream and it is a demo for the Saturn Uh, this is by most accounts the first consoleized uh, uh, MMO RPG, and it for that reason alone, it's kind of incredible. Um, this was meant to have as many as a hundred players at once. Um, so, just go over some quick facts on it. Number one, even if you do get it as of this moment, the servers are down, and it required the uh, Japanese X band Saturn modem. So, without no central server and without the Dragon's Dream server, you can't play the game. So we'll get that out of the way first. Don't try hunting for this thing at this point in time. Unless you want a nice, cool-looking coaster. Right? <laughs> a very expensive coaster, too. The game cost me over 100 and there have been reports that it goes for as many as uh, four. So. Wow. All for a fancy coaster. Or just a login screen. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, it did require the keyboard um, and a Japanese button to play. Uh, in order to play, you did have to dial into the local server, um, play for time. A PC version was planned, and apparently a client for the PC version was distributed in April of 1998, a Wikipedia article that was in Japanese. So I don't have any substantiating evidence behind you know, whether or not it was, and I've got conflicting reports stating that the Windows version never actually made it out there. Um, if any of you guys out in our podcast land happens to have any information about Dragon's Dream uh, for the PC, please let us know. Kind of cool. Um, it was a 3D dungeon crawling RPG, and there were two worlds, a human world and a demon world, a couple of cities, eight different races you could pick from. And it starts off very stereotypical RPG. You meet in a pub or a bar, and then you gather your party, and then you go hunt down some... Uh, some dungeons so kind of cool on that um it was a multiplayer role-playing game where all the players had to connect online and uh, there was only one server so saturn players would play with windows players if the windows version was actually released again i don't have that it though yeah right cross-platform cross-platform multi-plat on the first essential you know console mmo talk about bold Right, it's yeah. uh, it it got beat out by um, a game for the 3DO, I believe, or made by the 3DO company, by like one year as being the first, uh, you know, modernized MMORPG. 
That's amazing. Uh, the beta was started in the summer of 1997. Uh, disc was released December 20th, 1997. And they charged you to play this. Monthly game fee for data storage was 500 yen. Gameplay started at 10 yen a minute, but eventually was dropped to 6 yen a minute. Um, Jeez, it's still pretty pricey. Yeah, I mean, you know, just, we do the conversion rates on that. I mean, the fact that you had to pay by minute, it's ouch, right? Yeah, So you don't want to marathon that one. It ended up being pretty obscure and not very popular. Uh, in addition to those fees, the player was also responsible for the server account fee um, to you know the server, because you know, that server did... While there was one Dragon's Dream server, the uh, centralized server that you had to dial into still had its own access fee as well. Plus, you had to pay the phone bill. So, cost of entry is a little steep for untested technology. No kidding. Welcome to 90s internet, my friend. Right? Lessons learned from Dragon's Dream was supposedly later applied to Fantasy Star Online. So, this was the precursor to Sega being able to do Fantasy Star Online and fix the problems they ran into with Dragon's Dream. Is there any footage or any gameplay available online of it working? I have not seen much, um, but I also did not do too deep of uh, uh, of research as far as you know video footage is concerned. Um, if any exists, I mean, it's going to have been taken by like a, a VHS or a camcorder from the '90s. We're not going to have any modern gameplay. Bummer. Mm-hmm. I would love to see it in action. Yeah, I would too. For sure. Uh, the service closed on October 1st, 1990. Dang, and that still ran for a while, though. Yeah, n- not not a bad run for a Saturn MMO. You know, regardless of what you think of them, the fact that this was an online RPG service that basically ran for about two years and potentially had cross-platform play. I mean, we want to talk about Sega being an innovator. You almost can't get too much more innovative than this. And I'm willing to bet that most of our audience and most of the Saturn community in general have never even heard that thing exists. Awesome. So the conclusion of, you know, this section of the history is that uh, SegaNet eventually folded, uh, which is, you know, we talked about with the Japanese games not being able to get online. uh, And it became um, SegaNet for Dreamcast. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Very sad one, but... Anyways, uh, let's move on to some of the software available. I see there's, I see there's a ton of games that were available, and I did not expect that many. I thought there was only like a handful, but there seems to be almost like twenty of them. Yeah, for the Japanese Saturn modem, there's a bunch. Um, and again, I mean, we're we're not going to get into in any depth in any of these uh, outside of Dragon's Dream and whatever worked with the Tyson cable, um, because these games don't work. You know, if they were net li- exactly. or uh, expand modem only, they will not boot or they will not, you know, launch and play. So, um, if you happen to be into imports and want to get these games, make sure that uh, you do some research on them. Don't pick up the games that are uh, that require the modem to function. You will be very sad and then have to go buy another copy of the game. Daytona USA Circuit Edition uh, does work with the Tyson cable. So that's actually one that's worth picking up. Decathlete, uh, Virtual On, and the Virtual On Media Pack, um, those ones will work locally, so you don't have to you know, be forced to play only online. Um, 
I have Pad Nifty and Habitat 2, but I've not actually busted them out of their uh, cellophane yet, so I don't even know how functional they are. I noticed Dragon's Dream is on that list of the Titian. Yeah, and and that's something I'm, I'm hoping to find out more about. I I have that... So we, we have this list you know, for our notes. I think we'll just... Rather than going through all this list of games, we'll just post this list to the, uh, the notes and what have you. But... Um, there was evidence in the code for Dragon's Dream, apparently, that it works with the Tyson cable. I don't know how it would work with the Tyson cable. So, so we could possibly get that working. Yeah, there, there's some, some hacky kind of stuff. Was that oh. it? I said hypothetically. Well, so one thing that happened tonight in my research that I didn't get to talk to you guys about before we did our interview um, was that someone had the enterprising idea of swapping um, files and rebuilding an ISO for a Japanese Saturn game um, you know, with modem capability. They pulled the Japanese uh, modem files, or modem-related files, out and swapped it with US Netlink files and was able to get the um, games to connect to each other. But it uh, stopped at the multiplayer lobby screen that you'd normally see. Um, so when you swapped out those files, it's no longer trying to contact that centralized server. It's okay. actually doing a direct dial. But it can't get into the... You know how we, we were doing our setup um, in choosing uh, which player is which? It had to switch from your uh, screen to initiate the Netlink call. Exactly. To you know the next screen, which would um, show you, that, you know, which player is which and get ready to start and it has a reset. Apparently, it just reset to a black screen and punk, but he was able to get communication going. So, that's a start. Yeah, it, more than I expected to see. Well, we'll uh, keep hacking at it, and eventually, we'll be able to get that online. Well, not us personally, but the people working on it. Yeah. And so, you know, in a future cast, I think we'll talk about the Tyson cable and the Netlink uh, relation to that, but. For today, I, I kind of want to, you know, start, really start talking about what gets us excited, and that is the fact that we can honestly unite Saturn fans, you know, literally across the world by playing Netlink games online. It'd be sweet, yeah. Uh, something that really interests me is that I noticed that not only is Ogre Battle somewhat, somewhat, conf- somewhat able to use the Tyson cable, the fact that Ogre Battle was released for the Saturn at all, I didn't never even knew that. Yeah. Wow. Big ass. The US gets shafted again. <laughs> but uh but so so yeah, as as Kay was talking, you know, um there are five games out there uh that you can pick up and play today online with somebody, you know, a few houses over or across the country over your Netlink modem. And those games, Kay uh, let's see here. We got Sega Rally Netlink Edition. You've got you've got the very expensive Daytona USA CCE Netlink Edition. Burn you got, yourself a copy. <laughs> or you got it. the the Virtual On one as well. You got Virtual On Netlink Edition. Now, not to be confused with the long box version, which doesn't support Netlink. You got to get yourself the the small CD jewel case version that has that Netlink seal on the front. Is, it, um, is that pretty pricey as well? I don't think so. Like for thirty, forty. Oh, that's not awful. Yeah, it's not too bad. And oftentimes you can still get the Netlink Game Pack, which is both the exactly. Sega Rally 
game and the uh, Netlink uh, version of Virtual On together, um, I ended up picking up like two or three of these in total. Like two were unopened and one was open because the first two I got were sealed. So <laughs> you're gonna have to send me one of those Virtual On copies. And then you've got and then you got Duke Nukem. The standard long box will do. Uh, that supports Netlink out of the box and Saturn Bomberman, one of the best games on the Sega Saturn. Um, also support, yeah, period. Uh, supports Netlink right out of the box. Yeah, I, I guess uh, first thing that you know you have to like kind of let the the elephant in the room. I mean, the two of right now the most expensive Saturn games, uh, you know, common U.S. Saturn games. Uh, Two of the most expensive Saturn games are, are in here right now for the U.S. District, and that's Saturn Bomberman and Daytona Netlink. So you, you have to, almost have to ask yourself, you know, is it worth it for those um, to purchase? Okay, and, you and actually I don't say, have to. Yeah, I say you don't have to, and if you have yourself a uh, Phantom Mod chip, you are good to go. Just burn yourself a copy, and you can have the Netlink inserted you're right up and running exactly and in our previous cast we touched a little bit on mod chips we also touched on pseudo saturn so um i work with uh, every once in a while with uh, cafe alpha um who is the current holder of pseudo saturn's code and you know push out the version of pseudo saturn called pseudo saturn kai and i talked a little bit at length with him about the ability to swap cartridges um i have success with swapping a pseudo Saturn cart for a Netlink modem. I cannot recommend doing this if you're not, you know, fairly experienced in um, what to expect. And, you know, honestly, I don't think I can recommend this at all. I mean, I've been doing this for a while. I have a lot of Saturn, so I can sack one or two, you know, in testing things like this out. Um, but uh, Cafe Alpha also expressed his concern that uh, this can harm the port so but to be fair even inserting and de-inserting the cart would affect would damage the port oh breathing on the port would damage it <laughs> it is one of the ports out there isn't it yeah so i mean uh, you, you can take it how you want it but i mean either way if you want to swap it you're going to damage it if you don't you're you if you just swap it regularly you're going to damage it without anything in it he had concern about um, the fact that pseudo uh, Saturn Kai does load some data after the fact, so the timing is going to be a little on the strange side. And he also had some concern about, um, I believe, voltage uh, possibilities uh, running while swapping. So um, while we can't recommend this, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys feel like you could re- recommend it, but I know I absolutely. I wouldn't even recommend removing it with the system off. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't like cartridge swapping at all. I, I I think that edge connector is our not the edge connector, but the pins on that Saturn. I've already had to do some repairs on mine just to get some good con- solid contact with the OEM cart. You know, just just having it plugged in and and being able to read. Yeah, my my cart my cart's like on the edge edge of breaking. So I basically just I'm gonna keep it in there and I'm not gonna ever remove it. So, you know, there you have it. I guess our official word is, you know, we don't recommend swapping, but... Stick with a mod chip or a RIA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the information is out there, and, you know, we'd be doing you guys all a disservice if we told you that it wasn't possible. So, it is possible. We don't recommend it, but, you know, 
if, if you want to take that upon yourselves for the risk, um, you know, have at you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you have 25 sevens lying around, what's one with a not working cartridge slot, right? <laughs> right. I mean, if you're willing to invest in um, the exploit that we're going to talk about involved in, in getting this working, you know, it, you're probably already the kind of person that might either be interested in getting a, a mod chip um, or, or maybe in the process of doing that. And, 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 and that can be done uh, for a fairly low buy-in as well, you know, and the, and the Phantom mod chips is fairly easy to install as well. So I highly recommend that um, if you're considering this and you don't want to plunk down, you know, the two to $3,000 required for CCE Netlink or the two to $300 required for Saturn Bomberman. So, um, yeah, uh, let's take a, let's talk a little bit about, uh, being able to get the Netlink online. Yeah. Well, um, before I bring our guests on, um, and, and that is uh, Sega RPG fan and it's still thinking 1999 from the Dreamcast talk forums. This is something that I was looking into uh, a few months back. Just, you know, I think Patrick might have mentioned something about Dream Pie for Saturn or so- somebody somebody mentioned it to me and that got me thinking. And then I'm doing a Google search and ending up at the Dreamcast talk forums. And it turns out um, there has been some cases of using the Dream Pie with the Saturn. And it is used in the context of, of getting the internet browsing the planet web disks going. But... Um, but as far as matchups and direct dial uh, from one person to another, uh, they've kind of had to go a different route. And that's why we're going to have these guests on to talk about uh, what that requires. And um, basically, basically, we're talking about using VoIP, uh, which is a teleconferencing. Um, basically, it's, it's a voice over of, IP. <laughs> voice over IP, exactly. Um, and it's... It's basically emulating an analog phone line uh, through audio codecs, um, and it's encoding and decoding audio, um, and then sending that that audio, and then demodulating it on the other side to, into data. It's something that that a lot of people who have experience with uh, telephone services and and they have experience with networking would just be very skeptical that it would even work because there's so much latency involved um it just seems like the netlink modem would not know how to handle that um but there's a couple of guys who you know through trial and error were able to figure it out and we decided to contact them hit them up and get them on the show to talk about the exploit that they came up with which is um saturn netlink over voip now before we uh, do bring those guys on and we want to make sure that you guys know uh, you do have to purchase a uh, specific VoIP um, adapter uh, to be able to get this to work. Um, the model uh, will be linked, and unless we have the model offhand. I just know that it's an unlocked Linksys. I don't know the model number by heart, but we are going to put it in the show notes here. We're going to link you to its thinking's guide so that you guys um, can get all that information. Um, it's about a 10 to $13 piece of equipment and uh, it's a lot of fun it's pretty easy getting the setup going with the guide that he has um, laid out for us yeah so you know one kind of technical aspect and i have a a small bit of a background in um the reasoning for uh the need for analog uh telephone uh, for this voip is designed to um, reproduce 
the range of your human voice, right? From one side of the internet to the other, literally converts your voice and the frequencies of the human voice, which are far more limited than the frequencies that can be found in uh, fax data modems. So because the um, amount of data that could be pushed through an analog uh, phone line um, didn't involve compression or cutting off those frequencies, uh, using a plain old telephone system uh, analog phone line uh, is really like the way to go when you're dealing with data for credit card machines, fax machines, and things like our netlink. And I'm not just talking about having a, um, a landline. If you have a digital service, they optimized your digital service and that network to cut off the frequencies that are above and below the uh, normal ranges of a human voice because that's what the service is there to provide. But again, the tones that are generated by these electronic devices are beyond that range. And sometimes that data gets lost, not to mention the... Uh, difference between how this data gets transferred and that was something that was talked about a lot so these guys were able to use a fax machine codex um, with this device to to enable this to work um, going uh, because this is an unlocked device and they were able to make modifications to it and now, so that's what's so exciting now dave and i um got together uh, one night about what a month or two ago and because yeah. we, we both had the same, you know, we saw the same information separately before we even started this podcast, I, I'm assuming. And uh, we, we both got adapters. Um, so kind of like a midnight on a Tuesday or something, we uh, spent about half an hour to an hour getting it set up. Um, it, it is a very detailed article, very detailed setup process. Um, and you, you have to be meticulous about following it. But we were successful and had a round of Saturn Bomberman. How was the latency on that, by the way? Uh, truthfully, it was pretty laggy. I mean, input probably like um, you know 600 milliseconds for between 400 and 600 milliseconds. Um, it's it. it I, I'm aware that it is the worst performing game of all of them. The the driving games and Virtual On performing a lot better. Um, they say that they say that Sega Rally and Daytona USA handle almost unrecognizable from the original, um, you know, from just doing dial-up ISP or from doing like telephone line simulator. Mm-hmm. But that Saturn Bomberman, for some reason, I don't know why, but um, it's just one of the one of the games that I guess handles a little poorly. But um, that's why I wanted to try it because I just wanted to. You know, see if we, if we could get that running. You know, then then pretty much any other game we're gonna have a better experience with. You know, and That's I mean, a shame it was play- so laggy though. It, yeah, it was playable. I mean, we had a match and um, it was close, but K still beat me. It, well, there's a joke behind this. I once told Dave that I was amazing at Saturn Bomberman, but he missed the second part, which is I'm amazingly bad at this game. <laughs> so that says something right there, but. Uh, yeah, you know, if you guys are thinking that you're going to get online with Saturn Bomberman and have it be, you know, perfect, um, we don't want to get your hopes up there. I think that um, I think that you can get online, and if there are some settings that you guys can try to minimize latency, and you might have a better experience than we did at 12 o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> you guys but, could but, probably mail bombs back and forth to each other in real life and still have better latency. <laughs> 
five yeah. versus five. But but that being said, you know, um, there's still there are still four other games that are actually pretty responsive, um, and the, and that people say are are very quite playable, and um, and we're going to talk to these guys about that. Uh, I don't want to discourage anyone from not you know like from trying it. Period. Um, there is hope that with the right settings and uh, other tweaks that may come later down the road that we might be able to get this to be a lot more playable quite frankly i actually enjoyed it um i was probably feeling more about the the, the tickle factor that for the second we got it time, working i got something you know working and for the first time for doing you know a netlink online uh i thought that was pretty you know, pretty amazing the other thing that um i got running um which we very very bare bones touched on was a telephone line simulator so that doesn't go online, obviously, but it's worth mentioning that if you get it, um, even a cheap TLS and telephone line simulator, you can still play these head to head locally. Um, so, you know, that if you're looking for a head to head experience with Saturn Bomberman um, and you don't have uh, you know, or, or don't want to have that laggy experience of the VoIP, you can utilize it uh, using a telephone line simulator and it works fantastically. And there's nothing to stop anybody from actually dialing up their buddy and attempting to do a, a Netlink direct dial without using, you know, a VoIP system. If you have an analog provider, uh, a lot of phone services nowadays are digital. So you might have a problem if yeah. that's the case. If you have like AT&T and, and you paid for an extra phone line, you know, $19 a month or something, and chances are it's a VoIP line. It's a, It's a... It's basically VoIP service, and you don't know it is, but it is. So you're going to have trouble doing it that way. But if you can find a, an old dial-up that's analog, um, that that would work. So could you actually plug the wire directly into the each other's Saturn adapter, and would that work? No, because there's no telephone line, which is why the, the phone line simulator comes into play for that. I got gotcha. you. You'd have to simulate that line voltage and, like, the... The pickups and the yep. Now, when I worked at a uh, a major office printer manufacturer um, as support, one of the support calls that we got a lot was with fax. And through working for that company, um, I found out that many phone companies and you know uh, telephone service providers that are not cable based, um, so. Comcast, Cox, uh, was it Time Warner, Turner? I can't remember. Right, Time Warner. Um, those guys will be pretty much automatically out, but your traditional uh, POTS, plain old telephone system, um, may still have options for you to get an analog uh, line specifically for use with facts. Also like DSL, DSL companies, right? Anybody who did phone service. So okay. on our side, we have like Quest and, or CenturyLink now um, should be able to do it. Uh, it's normally a pretty pricey. Like I've actually, <laughs> so how much of a Saturn nerd am I? I was willing to pay forty-five bucks a month at one point. I was really seriously considering putting in an analog phone line um, and having it dial out from Portland to Scapoose so that my buddy Dave Hickman and I could actually do Netlink. Um, wow. Yeah, it, I, I was talked out of it, and I'm glad that I was talked out of it in the long run, especially now that we have this kind of a you know option. But the, the, the end point on this is that, you know, 
This is a modernized solution, and it's not going to be perfect because the technology we're working with is you know 20 plus years old and wasn't designed for this. But for what it is, I had fun, and I honestly, I'd be willing to play Saturn Bomberman laggy as all hell, especially if it's the only way I can win. Exactly. <laughs> At least you're gonna have an excuse if you lose. Hey, we're gonna have a rematch. Oh, I'm looking forward to it, my friend. Anyway, um, I think uh, we've kind of touched along all the basics, um, and we can get more into it after our our interview, but maybe we should introduce our guest. Absolutely. So so I reached out to a couple of the guys on the Dreamcast Talk forums. Um, These guys are very active in the the scene um, with getting the Dreamcast online and also the Saturn, recent developments with the Saturn. Um, You have Sega RPG fan, who I know has been an integral part in getting Saturn over VoIP working. His name is Joe, or Sega RPG fan. Joe, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Awesome. And you're coming to us from East Coast? Uh, Minnesota, actually. Oh, nice. My mom is from Minnesota. It's <laughs> cold <too>. there. <laughs> Very cold. <laughs> and then we also have uh, we also have Rio, or It's Still Thinking, 1999. He has done a lot of work on... Um, promoting the trick or exploit as, as it were on YouTube on his channel and then also creating like an official guide to, to make it easy for everybody to get this set of going on theirs um, his mic isn't working right now but he is in the chat and um, he may be able to add uh, to the interview periodically um, in comments but um, I wanted to get started with you Joe and I just wanted to ask um, because Zayden couldn't be here and I know that you worked with him as well um, how did you guys basically get interested, get started in getting this exploit going? Considering um, if I'm, I'm going back to the forums and reading a lot of these old posts, there was a lot of skepticism or, just, you know, there's people trying to get it working over VoIP, but it was pretty obvious that the Netlink modem didn't really like the latency and would constantly drop uh, the connection because it wasn't a synchronous connection. So what caused you guys to persevere with that and, and make it work? I'm just curious. Yeah. So the, the way you described it is, is pretty accurate. Um, yeah, a few people had tried it with, with VoIP over the years and they were usually using some kind of service like Vonage or, you know, whatever. And yeah, just the, the reliability wasn't there. The the call would drop, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they were using and, a VoIP provider, correct? Right. I, as far as I know, I think that's all anyone had ever tried. And, you know, I was doing some some digging on these these things, and there's if you have an unlocked device, there's ways to get them to connect directly to each other without going through a provider. And just looking at the, the different settings on there and figuring out I was thinking, you know, if we can get these to connect directly to each other, we might eliminate some of these issues with the the latency and all this. So I would say maybe six years ago or so or whatever, I, you know, I went on the, the Saturn League forums and I, I kind of posted this, this stuff. And again, I was, I was met with skepticism. And at the time, you know, getting someone to to buy one of these adapters they were a little more expensive back then maybe like 40 50 bucks sure. so it was, it was hard to convince someone to say hey you want to try this out with me drop 40 50 bucks for something that might not even work <laughs> um right yeah, so that that kind of hit a hit a dead end and i can't remember when zayden and i started this maybe it was about a year ago now 
um, I was kind of getting back into the the Dreamcast online scene and kind of checking out the forums on Dreamcast Talk, and I saw his post on there. He wanted to to try to get the the netlink going over DreamPi. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Yeah, that's sure. that uh, the project to get the Sega Dreamcast online through the same means, right? Uh, yeah, like a, a Raspberry Pi that'll act as basically your own little, you know, dial-up ISP. <laughs> yeah, that's how I found you guys, actually, because, um, you know, back in, like, 2008, I was doing, I was, I was on the Dreamcast Talk forums a lot, and I was doing the whole PC to DC server thing, or... Yep. It's kind of where you, yeah, you just had a PCMCIA modem in the back of your PC, and you just share your Ethernet connection. You had to do a bunch of registry edits and stuff like that. And then DreamPi came out as kind of like an all-in-one solution kind of thing. I was looking for a SAP, and so I just did like a Google search, and then I <laughs> found you guys, and that's how this all started. You know, I kind of went down that rabbit hole. So yeah, take us further. Um, what 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 did that involve? Like, where is Zidin located, by the way? He's in Texas. Okay, so so he's in Texas and you're in Minnesota. What was mm-hmm. the process for you guys R&Ding that and going back and forth and doing all this testing? A uh, lot, a lot of text messages. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I saw Zayden's post on, on Dreamcast Talk and I, I got in touch with him and said, you know, I, this is something that, you know, I had been kicking around for a while. I think we can we can make this work. And these adapters had come down in price to like 10 bucks on eBay. Like, you know, I'll, I'll drop 10 bucks to see if this will work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we got, we, we connected up and we started, uh, you know, hashing out the, the details, trying all kinds of different settings, trying to get our, our latency down and our reliability up. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, what, what that guide has now is sort of the, what we've been able to figure out to date to get the the best quality connection. Okay, is that is that like a theoretical max, or are, are you guys thinking that it might be possible to get even better performance out of like say Bomberman, which I know is the game that suffers the most? Hmm. Um. It might be possible. I I don't know with the the hardware that that we're using. If someone was able to write like a a custom program on the the Dream Pie that could you know, kind of bypass VoIP in a way because there's a lot of overhead and extra stuff in that that's not really needed. Exactly. Uh, so, is it, yeah. is it would it be po- so uh, would we be talking about like hacking the firmware of the VoIP adapter, or um, is it could it be possible that we might find a, a different adapter entirely that might have better compatibility? Mm, it would be more. Someone having to write a program for the the Dream Pie. So is it actually so pa- it... possible to pass it more than like a fifty six k through it or whatever the limit of the adapter is? Uh, which adapter are you talking about? Just uh, just say to get the Saturn Live, they came up with some adapter. Would there be a way to? Is there a limit that the Saturn hardware can then handle in terms of data um, rates? The the, the Netlink modem is twenty eight eight. Hmm. But it's the overhead that, that really is the problem because um, if I understand this correctly, the, the Netlink modem was designed to use a synchronous connection, which means it's it's waiting for a response constantly. Um, whereas mm-hmm. like a simple telephone connection is, is pretty much like one way. Um, it, 
there's tolerances for latency, like huge tolerances for latency. But um, Netlink will just disconnect if if there's too much latency, and so that's really been the biggest issue to tackle with Netlink over VoIP is just getting the latency down. Correct? Yep. I think I was reading that the whole Netlink system was designed with you know sort of a max 150 milliseconds of latency in mind, which I think the best we're I think the best we're able to do is 300 at the a minimum at the best so like 600 yeah, so, at the most right yeah so it's it's amazing that it's even working in my opinion that's what I was thinking because there's basically like a 200 to 300 milliseconds delay on a regular analog connection and then um, VoIP to VoIP you can add like the two to 300 milliseconds on both sides right so it could be like between four to 600 milliseconds yep And then there's the whole codec thing, right? It it encodes and then decodes the audio and then does it on the other side as well before sending it to... So it's it's a lot of redundancy, in other words. Yeah, and the the encoding-decoding is is pretty fast because we're using essentially an uncompressed codec is how we have them set up. But there's still, there's, you know, send and receive buffers on these things because, you know, stuff doesn't travel at a, a given rate on the internet. You have to buffer a few packets here and there. You mentioned writing new software for the DreamPi to adapt um, for Netlink use. What theoretically uh, do you feel would be needed and kind of like a pseudocode? Um, well, what, what you'd want to do is instead of sending, you know, voice sound information over the Internet, you want to send the actual data that the, the modem is sending. So you'd want to demodulate that on your local DreamPi, then just send the data to the other DreamPi or the person you're connecting to, and then that would modulate it and send it to their their Netlink. I don't know if that would help with with latency, but it would definitely reduce the the data that you're sending over the internet. So would we be cutting out the VoIP adapter all altogether out of the mix? In that scenario, yeah. Okay. So in right now, the DreamPi fits in all this in so much as you guys have internet browsing working with it, but you don't have multiplayer direct dial matching going, right? Right. Yeah, the, the DreamPi is only internet connectivity. And again, internet connectivity doesn't require that synchronous connection. It's right, so it's... More, it's more passive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I guess this might be kind of like the tip of the iceberg or maybe like a stopgap for the future of getting DreamPi to do all of this. And I wonder, so at this point, it's kind of hypothetical, but at least we have an idea of what might need to be done in order to achieve better performance on that, or at least achieve that hypothetical, you know, 28 k speed that the Netlink was originally capable of. Yeah, okay, I mean, so is anybody working on that right now, or has that kind of just been <laughs> tossed around? <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's working on it right now. It's That's way gotcha. above my pay grade. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. But have that's good. Just- Oh, go ahead. Okay. Have you guys looked into any other pieces of hardware in uh, replacement of the current VoIP adapter? Um, just a little bit. I mean, are you thinking like another type of VoIP adapter or something completely different? I mean, could we do something like modify the DreamPi to work with the Saturn compared to a Dreamcast? Yeah, I mean, in order to get the the net like multiplayer games working, you would you would need some kind of separate program different from what the dreamcast has if all you want to do is surf the internet on the sega saturn the dream works works perfectly as is there have been a few people ask here and there 
you know, if their uh, VoIP adapters would work. I'm guessing that, you know, they would have to do a bunch of testing on their end and, and it's it's a whole different, you know, firmware. So that's probably not going to happen. The one that we have right now is the one you guys did all the work on. So that's the one that if people are interested in getting their Netlink online today and, and playing direct dial with somebody else, that's the one that they should invest in. Correct. Yeah, because that, that's the one we're familiar with. And we've got, you know, step-by-step instructions for that. If you're going to choose a different adapter, there's a good chance you'll be able to get it to work, but you'll have to do a lot of that, um, you know, work yourself figuring out the settings. Exactly, which took you guys quite a while. So this is the easier route. And at a ten to thirteen dollar buy-in on Amazon or eBay, it's 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 a low cost of entry, you know. And if you already have Netlink, you know, Kay and I we took it for a test drive at like midnight, um, and, and we were using Bomberman. So you know, and he he still kicked my ass. <laughs> but but <laughs> how, you know, how did that work? How did that play for you guys? It was really laggy. Um, but then again, I was expecting that because I've seen uh, I've seen Rio's or it's still thinking I've seen his videos of it. And so I kind of knew to expect that game to perform poorly. But I kind of wanted to test like the worst game uh, and see, <laughs> <laughs> see how that did. And, you know, if I consider that to be, you know, playable or at least proof of concept. You know, I've heard that the driving games do actually pretty good handle pretty good and then i wanted you to speak to something i've also heard that using the 3d control pad or the analog control um, produces better results or lower latency Um, is that true i haven't noticed but that's generally what i use for the racing i i wouldn't have okay i don't i don't have anything to compare it to i wouldn't have pulled out the the digital pad for sega rally for instance it's like impossible to play that game with that Oh, I disagree. <laughs> well, I have maybe, that game. Maybe, I have that maybe game you're way master. better than me. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know what? It's a good point, though, because I think um, Sega Rally Netlink, wasn't that tuned for the 3D control pad? Um, yeah. And I don't have a whole lot of experience there. Like classic Sega Rally, I've got that game mastered on the on the classic you know, Japanese D-pad. Um, and I mean, it's sublime. But I, I'm not saying that it isn't with the 3D control pad either. I just... You know, reading some of the posts on the forums, I've noticed that people seem to agree that um, they seem to, and it's still thinking right now, he's saying that it's... Uh, they said it's better to autocorrect with the 3D pad in those games. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, um, so right now you guys on the Dreamcast Talk forum, you guys are running kind of a, an ongoing thread uh, for matchup, correct? Yeah. And so people, if you're interested in um, finding other people out there that are available for matchups that have this set up, you can join the Dreamcast talk forums and you can check out that thread and people throw up their time and availability uh, for matchups. And we're kind of doing the same thing as well on the Sega Saturn Collectors of America group on Facebook. We're trying to integrate some kind of matchup uh, so that you know people who are interested can get into that. Are you guys also, because um, I noticed uh, Rio's uh, post today um, on the Netlink League. Oh, oh, it's, uh, you're responding to that, it says Saturn League is pretty dead. So we have more of a chance uh, getting a matchup on DC Talk as opposed to the Saturn Netlink League. That's sad. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're um, trying to get it on this podcast because I kind of felt the same way. I felt like um, you guys put a lot of work into this. Um, and, and I looked at it and saw, well, you know, this isn't just something that should be reduced to a simple thread on a, on a forum. You know, I, we should get this information out there 
and let people understand that, you know, I mean, it seems like Saturn fans are so dedicated in collecting hardware and making sure that they're tapping into every <laughs> bit of potential that their console offers. So yeah, for sure. This is, this is kind of huge. And this speaks to what we're going to talk about in the rest of the podcast is how Sega was always really ahead of the, their time. And they were always really pushing the boundaries of what was possible. And the fact that you've got a t- over 20 year console here that can still get online and still play with somebody you know, across the country is, is kind of a big deal. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to, you know, lengthen the life of these things and make sure that they're, we're still using the real hardware. Um, I'm sure it won't be too long or maybe it's even currently possible to play online multiplayer against somebody through an emulator. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said for using the, the original hardware and, um, you know, at least you're putting it to, to good use. Um, K were you going to say something else about the setup? Um, I'm uh, curious uh, if you guys have um, considered or run into any security issues uh, regarding setting this up. You know, the fact that you have to give up your public IP, which, you know, for some people that might be a, a scary thing, you know, not well versed in, you know, how the internet works. Um, and was wondering if you guys had run into any security issues yourselves or saw any setbacks that might not be related directly to the VoIP adapter or the Saturn Netlink itself. Um, I mean, depending on how you go about opening your home network, it, it could open you up to some security risks. I'm I'm not an expert in, in networks, so I can't really say what all those would be. But yeah, the you do have to share your, your IP address for someone to connect to you which is why it's not a good idea to to post that on the uh the forum or the thread so we usually communicate through text messages is usually the the main way we go about it and just trust that your fellow saturn nuts aren't gonna hack into your network i guess Mm -hmm. i mean we're all a pretty tight-knit community and we're pretty much anybody that's willing to do all that crap to get the saturn online pretty sure they wouldn't be uh just doing it so they can hack their your ip i would hope so and I mean, I think it's, I think that that's important. Um, that's one of the reasons why I was kind of interested in starting a matchup thread on a reputable Facebook group where there are admins and we can report, you know, people who do malicious things, you know. So just in the same manner as, you know, if you got cheated out of something on a, on a trade or a sale, you know, they, you know, this person had a reputation um, and, you know, you can rep for them. So, I felt like it's really important when it comes to security to know who you're dealing with and, and be sure that, you know, they come recommended from other people, that they have a reputation in the community. And that is one way that you can protect yourself. And and also, you know, Kay mentioned, um, I, I noticed you guys have DMZ as an, as an easy option, you know, um, and then you also mentioned port forwarding. And he was just pretty much, you know, hands down port forward. Um, it is, you know, it's a, it's an extra step, but it's, definitely going to provide you a a little bit more security than just uh using dmz do you agree um yes i'm i'm kind of an advocate for for port forwarding um i know the the dmz kind of came out from the the dream pie where people would dmz their their dream pie and in that instance it's not really much of a a security risk because it's it's all getting routed to the Dreamcast. So if the Dreamcast doesn't know what to do with the packet, it's just going to drop it. You can't exactly. you can't really hack a, a Dreamcast. Right. Um, 
it'd be cool if you could. <laughs> Whereas with, with the VoIP adapter, I guess you, you conceivably could. So yeah, I mean, port forwarding would be the better way to go about it. Yeah. And Kay, do you want to say anything about that? I know you, we were talking the other night and that was one of the things you were kind of adamant about. Well, there's also, um, you know, some devices out there for routing that don't have a DMZ. Okay? That's a, a fairly consumer um, level thing that I've noticed. I don't see it in you know, very many uh, commercial or professional networking devices. Um, so I didn't have a choice when we were doing our setup at midnight on what was it, like a Tuesday. Um, I didn't have a, a choice to use that to make it easy. And I felt that um, like an, as an overall practice, because there's many, many reasons to learn how to do uh, port forwarding, um, that it would be just a, an overall better solution. DMZ would probably be easier to get up and running right away, but I think the benefits of port forwarding are, you know, mm. far beyond the application that we're utilizing it here. And that's kind of what I agreed with Kay, is that um, if any of you guys out there are, you have, you're with a friend, you're trying to just get this up and running, take it for a test drive, proof of concept, you know, so that you can get your system running, you know, feel free to DMZ between the two of you. But um, if you're going to be using this as an ongoing, you know, you've got that VoIP adapter connected to your setup and it's ready to go, you know, then you don't want to just leave it DMZ like that. Just, just common practice, it's probably better to set yourself up with port forwarding just for an extra bit of security. But if you are just like, like Kay said, just trying to get it up, set up and, and running your first time and you just want to make sure that it works the dmz might be an easy way to do that i thought it was worth mentioning you know, because security is a sec- it's a concern you know nowadays but shouldn't be you know it shouldn't be something that stops you guys from being interested in this um in giving this a shot uh, just remember you know to rely on the community um that you are you know part of to to find matchups so Rio mentioned in the chat that he uh, is involved in networking and he agrees that port forwarding is your better option. He also mentions on a side note that the uh, Yabuse uh, emulator has Netlink support, but as far as he knows, no one has actually gotten games to work on that. It was mostly used for uh, doing development for custom browsers. Oh, okay. And he also says that he recommends getting a keyboard for your Saturn so typing is a lot easier between people. And the keyboard looks pretty awesome to begin with. Yeah, that was a really it sweet does. thing. I'm sorry, mine broke. I wonder if no, you can actually no... took that to your actual PC because doesn't it does it use any special adapters at all? Or there is a PS2 adapter, so you can use any keyboard. Oh, that's um, cool. That came with the Netlink pack, and you can buy it uh, by itself, or you can for, for a little bit more get the Sega keyboard. I only um, get that for work. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty odd. That's pretty rad. Do any of you have the Sega keyboard? I saw one at a I saw one at a game store. I never picked it up though. Hey, do you have it? I had it for many years, and uh, it one of the escape. I think it was the escape key broke, uh, and so I think I finally got rid of it. I don't think I still have it in any of my stuff. Yeah, there's one on eBay either now or I don't know if it's still there. But I saw it and I was like, I wanted it so bad, and it was cheap too. But one of the keys was broken. I I think I I saw some pictures of it. And I I think it just has. I think it's just a normal keyboard with the the keyboard Sega. adapter for the Saturn, so it's. Yeah. I don't think it's anything special. It has a Sega logo on it, though. It's yeah. like a badged official product, so it has a 
it has a product number. If you are crazy about collecting hardware, you know, then you probably got to have it. Otherwise, it's that's <laughs> yeah. just a standard PS2 keyboard. I like to use it in my work, but I have a really nice mechanical keyboard. But I mean, it is Sega Saturn after all, so maybe I can deal with the squishy keys. Yeah, it does have a Windows key. Rio was mentioning. Um, it was uh, it was not the most comfortable keyboard to utilize. It was very you know, no ergonomics to it. Um, but it was my only keyboard uh, when I first moved to Portland. So <laughs> I I missed that thing, but it, I'd probably never use it today. Like Perfect analogy for moving to Portland. <laughs> You're such a hipster <laughs> that used a keyboard, like a Saturn keyboard. So Joe, I, I know we they don't They didn't have sell this. keyboards in Portland? <laughs> I, I moved from Hawaii, and it, we were pretty much like, you know, used all of our phone to get up here. I wasn't going to go buy a keyboard anytime soon. Mm. I gotcha. Joe, I was just wondering if you had any experience with, you know, using like a telephone line simulator to do like LAN stuff. Uh, yeah, I've done that. That was one that of the, was like the precursor to, to all this stuff, right? Yeah, I did that a, a few times. I had some people over to, to play some head to head matches like in my basement with the line simulator between two Saturns. And cool. that works really well. That's I mean, it's better than a a phone connection almost at that point yeah yeah i think k did that at one of his conventions too i, I actually have a another question that i am just now remembering um the in the early days of getting the dreamcast uh online uh there was the natopia router right do you see any um means or reasons for being able to use that particular piece of hardware with the saturn um, only if you wanted to to get online. I mean, that that's pretty much been replaced by the the Dream Pie at this point. It does the exact same thing. There was something about the Netopia router that made it special. Is that it? Oh, is that it had the built-in uh, RJ11. It had like the phone yep. jack and it had the Ethernet. Yeah, it was it was kind of a, an odd piece of hardware that was more or less made it really easy to. It was a lot easier than that whole PC DC server thing you were talking about earlier right whereas it was just a self-contained piece of hardware cool rio mentioned uh um, in the chat also someone uh in one of my saturn videos made this amazing comment quotes got it on launch a and it came with daytona the first system i played uh tomb raider then i bought a playstation and had the best of both worlds shame the saturn didn't get the same support as in japan the Saturn was the first thing that got me on the internet, too. Spent many hours in chat rooms on the Saturn. Crazy fact, I met my wife online with the Saturn. Been together since 1997. That's quote. awesome. Wow. That wow, the awesome. Natopia is a couple hundred bucks now? I've got two of them. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was I'm in, that, in that Sega archiving project that I was doing with the website, going back to that 96 archive they shut down the chat because there was some, you know, typical internet stuff going on, a lot of indecent uh, stuff. But it's just funny to go back and read some of those threads that are still online that were posted by people using their net links. So, but that is, that is funny, man. So I was just wondering one more question, guys, is um, you mentioned in the guide, um, Rio, you mentioned in your guide that uh, QoS settings might help make a difference and i did a little bit of messing around with it on my end but i couldn't really tell if it if it was making any difference and you're typing 
For QoS, it does make a difference, but it all depends if your provider allows you to have QoS. Okay, so that answers a whole other question. The other night, um, guys, last time we recorded, remember I took the internet down completely before we did that podcast because I tried to set up QoS settings on the UDP port for Discord and it took down my internet completely. So maybe Cox didn't like me trying to trying to set up QoS on my router. And so I don't really know a whole lot about QoS, so I didn't know it was like a, a service that might be specific to your ISP. Um, so I guess if, if any of you guys listening out there have QoS or you know that your ISP supports it, then I guess it sounds like it could help. And real rights, for example, here in Canada... Telus does not give us QoS for homes. Business is a whole different beast. Hey. So let me ask you that, uh, this Rio. Um, on consumer-based routers that have QoS settings available, normally like a check mark uh, for the lowest level, but sometimes uh, customizable, um, would you recommend making changes to the uh, the settings within the router to enable QoS um, and then you know fine-tune those settings? Uh, if you're not sure about your uh, ISP's uh, willingness to let you have QoS over your whole internet in pipe? That's a good question. I think that's why it took my internet down is because um, my ISP doesn't provide it. So QoS, it's like ISP specific? You can't like... Uh, well, it's quality of service. It, it, so I have a Netgear router. It has QoS settings in there that you can... You can get it all set up and everything, and, and it basically partitions priority. It's like it's like giving process priority, you know, like I gotcha. in, in Windows Explorer. So you're giving a higher uh, priority to Netflix or to your Roku or, or for example, to this specific UDP voice port. Um, so so that my voice wouldn't drop out because you guys were telling me that my voice was dropping out. But then when I did it, it like took my entire internet down, and my modem hated me for like 15 minutes and wouldn't restart so i think cox maybe was like slapping me on the hand dang cox is one mean mofo on the um on the old wrt 54 gs uh you could run tomato firmware you could run um uh one of those like ddwrt firmwares and it actually allowed you some very robust qos settings and that was my first experience with qos was it actually allowed me to instead of prioritizing certain types of traffic which would be um like when the packet is encapsulated, uh, that packet would be tagged with what you know kind of traffic it was. Um, and Rio, I'm sure, will correct me if I'm making any you know mistakes in my network terminology for that. Um, on that particular firmware router, you could prioritize all traffic from one specific port. So your standard you know uh, router, the DD or the WRT54 had four network ports on the back of it and you could say okay all traffic from port one is prioritized over any of the others it doesn't matter what kind of traffic it was so i I haven't seen that kind of um qos on anything but you know hack routers because i don't really use much besides that um and my current uh my current router does not have that kind of fine-tuned capabilities you have to actually go in and choose what kind of traffic and set certain rules broke the rules okay rio says he would do it anyway uh for example his provider if they don't give us uh, qos if you try to request it in theory the provider would say uh 
your home, so we won't give it to you. And uh, it, they would just not do QoS. It should not affect your internet, uh, but it all depends on what provider you have. So it could potentially help, um, and it's in the guide, and it's an optional step, but you guys can play around with that and see if it improves your experience at all. And, you know, theoretically, if you take a game like Bomberman, which does perform a little bit worse than the other ones, you know, you might notice an improvement. So Um, to close this uh, all out, I want to thank um, you guys for making it tonight. Yes, thank you so much. Do you guys have anything, parting words or, you know, words of wisdom that you want to send off to our three listeners? Or to to plug. I mean, yeah, plug away, (laughs) please. Yeah, please. You, You get get. Anything you want to get out there? Any shouts? Oh, man. I hadn't thought about that. Well, we should mention Zaiden, uh, who was a... I mentioned it before, but Zaiden was a integral role um, in this along with you, Joe. Yes, definitely. So definitely want to give Zaiden a shout out. Yeah, with, with, without him and our, our, like I said, many, many text messages, messages back and forth, we never would have got this working. So definitely shout out. Yeah, thank you so much, um, you guys, what you've done for the scene, because I, I definitely think this is this is an awesome thing. And I, I personally am really excited about and pushing it a lot personally on, on the Facebook groups. And, um, you know, I think it, it, if anybody out there is listening and you guys have coding skill, you guys are programmers and you know Linux and, you know, um, you feel like getting involved in this, hit hit one of us up. We'll plug you in with the right person. But um, if you think that it's possible, you might be interested in contributing um, a program for the Dream Pie or working on a project like that. It sounds like that might be the future of getting the Saturn online with better performance. And as we all know, time plays its role and, and things get better, you know. So, But right now we do have a solution that works thanks to these guys. Yes, so thank you very much, guys. I don't think there, we can thank you guys enough for what you're doing for the community. One last yeah. note for Rio was that uh, Zaiden also brought back the Netlink Zone. He got that online. That's right. That's right. He did through the uh, DreamPipe, right? Yeah, that's, that's that's actually really cool. If if you connect with your your Saturn through the the DreamPie, um, it'll automatically redirect to the you know the proper netlink zone web pages uh Zayden, he he kind of s- scoured and found the the original graphics for that and re remade those pages so that, that's really cool i definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't did you have to buy the domain for that back because i know they did the same thing with the Se- sonic uh website um no the it just works through a, a dns redirect on the the dream pie so it sends it to the the dream the dream pipe website is where it's hosted interesting cool. That's so technically, cool then you're able to add more content to that. Yeah, hypothetically, if oh man, wants that's, to take their Saturn online and that's awesome. Uh, that would actually be a really cool, like uh, like a coffee table thing. Turn your Saturn on and look at the daily news. Maybe see what's going on in the community, and Check then download email. those save games you haven't been able to download. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, if you can get, if we can get some like Dreamcast style mm-hmm. stuff. Going. Dude, that'd be sweet. I'd go and get that just for the, the news. Wake up in the, at 5 in the morning, turn my Saturn on, see what's been going on in the world of the world. <laughs> Check your stocks. Yeah. Seems like, uh, Check Zion. my horse bets. Zion is apparently making a new Saturn website with uh, new news sections, etc., according to Rio. This is amazing um, to me. I mean, that 
as as awesome as gaming online, you know, on the Saturn is, hearing that you can plug in a piece of tech from, you know, 20 some odd years ago and actually still have it modern uses, right? Like the Netlink zone being resurrected uh, from the dead. That's that's incredible. So bravo to you guys and thank you very much. Thank you for being here and taking the time out of your you know bedtime <laughs> to chat with us tonight. Yes, yeah, no problem. We appreciate it, and we can't thank you guys enough for all you're doing because this is like the coolest thing I've seen in a long time. And we're going to be sure to direct our listeners over to that Dreamcast Talk forum thread where they can they can see uh, Rio's original official guide. Um, I believe it's at version 1.8, but I'm sure that he'll update it if if it receives any new information. And then also there is a matchup thread there. That's an ongoing matchup thread. Um, and we are going to link that in the show notes as well. So if you guys have any questions, these two guys or these three guys here, it's still thinking 1999 and Zaiden and Sega RPG fan would be the guys to ask if you have any technical questions because they are the ones who discovered this and created this exploit. So um, feel free to hit them up. One last question for both of you guys before you head out. Favorite Saturn game? Panzer Dragoon Saga. Not bad, not bad. Wow, double double Panzer Dragoons. <laughs> yeah. Wow, awesome. Right, Saga is an awesome game. That's that's one of my my prized possessions. <laughs> it sure is. I think I think still thinking it's the first one though. It's just his Panzer Dragoon. So, but still. Yeah. Oh, that's the one he's going for. Just because. Yeah. But, well, it's classic. Yeah, you can't beat you can't beat any of them. The whole series is fantastic. So, good All right, choice. Gentlemen. Thank you guys yep. so much for joining us tonight. Yep, and have a great night. All right, have a good night. All right, see you guys. All right, so that was our interview with uh, Joe, and it's still thinking 1999 from the uh, Dreamcast Talk forums uh, regarding the use of Saturn Netlink hardware online using a VoIP adapter, and. Uh, yeah, this is the future. So the future's in the past, right? Like they always say, or the past is in the future. Shut up, David. This all kind of kind of came about because of a uh, event that's in the Sega uh, Saturn Collectors of America group um, that you know Dave here is kind of uh, posted up, and we want to see if you guys have interest in meeting up other Saturn enthusiasts and playing online, meeting each other, really building out, um, you know, a, a sub-community for this kind of uh, online play. Um, but, you know, maybe you're not really that technical. You don't want to deal with that. Um, I'm looking at... I have a couple of these adapters and have them set up. So, depending on the interest uh, in that, I might be willing to go ahead and uh, sell one pre-setup for you at cost you want to really build up this community so let us know your interest levels um, respond to the uh, the event that's been set up in Sega Saturn Collectors of America and uh, let's see where we can go with this you know, find the, the king of Netlink it's a lot more intense than the king of fighters I don't know man nothing beats ducking anyways uh, is there anything you guys want to plug before we head out got nothing here no Alright, I just want to plug all my homeboys and the fighting game community in Arizona. Had a blast playing some King of Fighters tonight. Actually, tonight. King of Fighters 98, that was great. Um, and, uh, that's... 
pretty much it. Just want to shout out you guys, because you're cool. Go follow Dave, he's going to be doing some graphic stuff. Go follow Kay, he's going to be doing some repro and disc and ripping stuff. And go check out the Dreamcast talk forums as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, everyone's got to do that. And play Dreamcast. Hit up Patrick <laughs> if uh, you want to play some King of Fighter. Yeah, you, you know, I, I can take you. My team is got Benamaru, got Ryo, and got my homeboy Terry. And that's my team. So you guys want to mess with in front on me? I mean, I'm right here. In Arizona. Yeah, come get on a plane and fight me in King of Fighters. And then bring fly all the way back. Just bring a PVM so he doesn't have to trip it. Well, I mean, I'm, I have one, so... So, to uh, to all of our three fans out there... I think we lost, like, five of them. We lost like, for a negative two fan. All right, well, for all negative two of you, uh, thank you very much for listening tonight, and uh, have a good one. See ya.